Hello and welcome to another episode of the Academics Podcast. I'm your host, Justin D. Barnett, and today is a very special episode. It features a really good conversation that I had with Samantha Hawkins. Samantha is a lead associate account director at a company called The Trade Desk. The Trade Desk is an ad tech company that powers the most sophisticated buyers and advertising. Founded by the pioneers of real-time bidding, The Trade Desk has become the fastest growing demand-side platform in the industry by offering agencies, agitators, and their advertisers best-in-class technology to manage display, social, mobile, and video advertising campaigns. Now, Samantha has a very, very interesting career. She's worked in brand-side marketing, she's worked in ad agency, she's worked in the consulting space, and now in the ad tech space. She offers a bunch of knowledge, she drops a lot of gems, and this is definitely an episode that you wanna sit down and take notes on. Um, I definitely encourage anyone to reach out to Samantha with any questions you might have or concerns because she's very passionate about what she does and about this industry, and she's eager to help a lot of people, so. Sit back, relax, enjoy this episode. This is Samantha Hawkins from The Trade Desk. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Academics Podcast. I'm your host, Justin D. Barnett, and today's guest is Samantha Hawkins. Sam is a lead associate account director at The Trade Desk. Samantha, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. And yeah, feel free to call me Sam and excited to get into it. Yeah, so I'm super excited about this interview because um, early on in my advertising career, I was interning at at RPA, and I was also a member of Think LA, and um, Mm -hmm. I went to a, um, like a networking event, like an intern summit or something, and you were one of the panelists, and this was like a little over a year ago, I think. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and it was was dope for me because I I wasn't used to seeing, um, you know, people of color within the industry, and to see you on that panel, (laughs) like, it sounds weird, but like, to see you on that panel... It was, it was inspiring for me to kind of keep going and, and um, you know, just seeing someone that looked like me. So I'm very happy to uh, have you on the show. I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Um, can you just start by giving the listeners like a, a quick self-introduction? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I've been in advertising and marketing for, you know, about the last seven years in if you look at my, you know, resume, if you look at my LinkedIn, you really see that I've sat on so many different sides of the table, right? I've had client side experience. I've had ad agency experience. I, I went to a big four consulting firm. Um, and now I'm kind of like rounding that circle and now I'm on an ad tech platform side. Um, and so I think, you know, just for me, I'm really just driven by curiosity. I really want to go deeper. I want to figure out how can I make a bigger or more, uh, significant, more real impact on businesses. Um, and I'm not really satisfied with status quo or with legacy ways of operating or thinking. So I really see myself as someone who's pushing myself, but also pushing this industry to new heights. Um, and that kind of helped explain my background a little bit. But I think the best way to know, you know, me as a person is me kind of telling you my core values. And that really drives the decisions that I make in my personal life and my professional life. And I really want to normalize, you know, all of us first of all, having values, knowing what they are and speaking on them. So for me, it's education, equality, service, spirituality, and health. And so my purpose in this world, again, whether that's personally or professionally, is to leave the world in a better place than where I found it and normalize creating those opportunities, um, you know, where they don't currently exist around those values, right? Um, And so I see my purposes 
you know, putting action against those values, no matter what I'm doing, whether that's, again, my career or my daily life. Um, but yeah, I think, I, you know, another little bit about me too that I want to say is I, especially in a professional sense, I'm a huge believer in normalizing modern management in the form of servant leadership. And that goes back to that service core value, servant leadership. And that means as a manager, it's our responsibility to grow and develop talent from all backgrounds and life, life experiences. And servant leadership isn't leading through fear, which I think most managers are doing. If you've, if you've had a job for like two seconds, um, and especially if you're uh, you know, a Black, Indigenous person of color, you've experienced that, right? And so it's really making it our daily job to ensure people have an inclusive and positive experience at work. And like, this is, is, you know, this is not hard. This isn't, this isn't mind blowing stuff, but it's like, how do you make sure people are included at work? And it's our job as modern managers to ensure people have a clear path of growth that's tailored to them, to who they are and to how they want to grow. So modern management does not look like rewarding people for fearing you. It doesn't look like rewarding people for just agreeing with you or acting like you or modeling themselves after you or making you look good, right? Mm -hmm. You have to care about people genuinely and you have to make it your business to truly support people. You got to get out of their way. You know, their growth is not tethered to you. Their growth does not have to be in service of you. And so I think that that's a huge part about who I am, again, personally and professionally as well. And I think, you know, that I know that this is a podcast for students. Even if you're not a manager right now, it's absolutely your job to pay attention to what you see around you and to pay attention to the management qualities that you want to take with you as you rise in the ranks um, and the qualities that you don't want to see ever again, that you want to see completely wiped away. So always remember the type of manager you wish you had um, as you grow in your professional career and pay attention because you guys are the future. That was an amazing introduction. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Wow, what a way to set the tone! You you just covered you just covered so much in that in that in that introduction. I kind of just want to rewind a little bit, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you started off by saying you know you're you're seven years in. So um, you know, I'm curious about your your professional journey and what it's been like up until this point. Um, like, what where, where'd you what agencies have you been at, or what companies have you been at, and you know, what's led to the trade desk? Yeah, absolutely. So again, as I said, I've sat on all the different sides of the table, right, within the digital landscape. And there is a consistent through line, though. And that is, you know, I'm a strategist. I'm a problem solver. I know what questions to ask. I'm very resourceful. (laughs) Um, And I want to ask that so I can better understand the ever-evolving digital ecosystem. I mean, it's changing every single day. Um, And that way, I can guide I can educate and I can advise brands and other people on where they fit in in this ecosystem and how they can be more effective in achieving their goals. So that really is like the through line. But um, to take it back, you know, after I got my my um, bachelor's of business marketing, I did an internship at Silver Jeans. It's a jean brand based in Canada, but they have um, an office in uh, in Laguna Beach. Um, and so I was their PR and marketing intern. Um, I didn't even have a car. I literally had to take the bus all the way down from uh, Costa Mesa, so like a little bit more northern Orange County down to Laguna Beach in southern Orange County. And, you know, at the time, you know, we didn't have the language of influencer marketing or social media influencer, right? This was back when 
bloggers just had their own websites where they just talked about shit that they cared about, you know, and then tried to gain influence that way. So what I was doing, you know, back then, and to use the language of the time, it was just blogger outreach. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so after, and I also kind of got into a little bit of my foray within social media and a a little bit of my um, experience in PR in terms of, you know, trying to get publications to include our product in, in their articles and things like that. So what that looked like was literally going to our closet and like sending pairs of jeans to, let's say, Teen Vogue or Nylon magazine to get them to like use the jeans and like their their sheets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, I joined Kelly Blue Book as a PR coordinator and it was a contract position. It was a contractor job while um, another woman was away on maternity leave, but that was, you know, kind of my foot in the door to the corporate client side. Um, and so that looked like a lot of um, writing press releases, uh, reaching out to journalists, um, you know, writing daily newsletters and quarterly newsletters and about a bunch of stuff within the automotive industry that I didn't even understand at the time. But, um, you know, because Kelly Blue Book their kbb.com website is kind of like, you know, this treasure trove of information for car research, right? They had all of this data where they could kind of say, you know, predict maybe what sales were going to look like within the industry and things like that. So I had to work with, you know, different experts and, you know, take them to their satellite media tours and just a lot of like PR stuff. Um, But then I started to help out the marketing team with social media. Um, and I think it's one of those things that just really fell into my lap, you know, being, uh, being pulled into the corporate client side and them kind of saying like, Hey, you're young. Can you help us with this Facebook thing? You know? (laughs) Um, so my contract got extended a few times before I was brought on as a full-time employee, um, as marketing coordinator, where I was doing a little bit of PR, a little bit of social media management, right. Managing our social channels. And then we started to get more robust in doing not just organic social or the social media that doesn't cost us anything, but I started to also doing paid social. And then I became a marketing specialist, kind of dropped doing the, the PR work. Um, we got acquired by a bigger company called Cox Automotive and started to do a little bit more sophisticated marketing, or as we say, sophisticated marketing, you know, bringing in consultants to help out with our brand positioning our media mix modeling, you know, where are we spending our ad money and why, that kind of thing. We started working with media agencies to manage paid social for me. I didn't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We started working with creative agencies to develop like our brand campaigns. Now we're doing commercials where we hadn't really been doing that before. And so I started to kind of rise in the ranks there, eventually became uh, associate marketing manager. But the reason why I left was having been exposed really for the first time to the ad agency world by them working with us, I noticed that they were the experts, you know, Mm -hmm. here I am in my early twenties, very early twenties, surrounded by a lot of people that were much older, um, much, much older and and, in a much later life stage. Um, And we were kind of having to ask our agencies, like what's the answer to this business challenge the agency tells us what we should do. We regurgitate that to our stakeholders internally. And I just noticed, you know, where I'm at in my career, I need to run towards what it is I don't know. And that later became a theme for me, but I need to run towards the people who are experts. I need to be with them, right? I need to help brands understand where they need to go. But I don't, in my early twenties, you know, I can't, where does my career trajectory go? If I can't answer these questions myself. So I knew I had to get on the agency side and, and the door 
the pathway in was through social media again. Mm -hmm. um, so I joined uh, RPA advertising out in Santa Monica, like you did. <laughs> and, um, and I was the lead community manager there. And so what that looked like was managing the social media channels for, for one of our bigger clients, creating processes and safeguards in place so that less mistakes were made. There's a little bit more security in the process of posting um, content, managing sort of the comments and that, that type of thing. And what I did was try to extract, you know, more value out of that to where I could build a team to manage not only the account, you know, the social media accounts that I was managing, but scale that to other clients within the agency as well. That would allow me to stretch and again, run towards what it is I don't know. And I got to do a lot more work in the way of just, you know, good old digital strategy. Um, and so then I became supervisor of both community management and digital strategy uh, within RPA. And so that looked like a lot more of, um, you know, clients coming to us and saying, hey, we're, we got this new campaign that we want to do because we're launching this new product. Um, so my team, we would take that, write a brief and tell the creatives, you know, here's, um, here's how you should think about this new product on these different channels for these different audiences. Here's what's really culturally relevant right now. And working with the media teams to make sure that, you know, the, um, the media, you know, the channels in which we were reaching people was going to work really well with the creative that was being developed. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, after a couple of years of doing that, I noticed, you know, I ramped up and I noticed, yes, agencies are the expert and they're, they're go they, they are the go-to experts. But I, what I saw was that internally within the agency, we were really striving towards uh, benchmarks like winning awards or something I heard all the time was making our campaigns quote buzzworthy. And it felt really self-serving. And after a while, you know, that kind of felt like the go-to felt like we were starting to fall into status quo. And again, I'm really not about that. I really want to run towards, you know, going to new heights. Um, and I kind of felt, you know, it's self-serving. It, 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 is what we're doing impactful to society or even to the business? You know, that these businesses are asking us to help them achieve these objectives, but is buzzworthy achieving that sometimes maybe. Um, but that's where I got really interested in consulting. And at the time you were starting to hear rumblings in the industry around, you know, uh, Deloitte acquires um, a, an ad agency called heat. And then you see, um, you know, creative agencies like Droga5 was like a darling of the industry, right? Super buzzworthy campaign, super award-winning creative, really great work. And they get acquired by Accenture, which is one of the, one of the big consulting firms. And consulting firms had typically done things like accounting, tax, advisory, mergers, and acquisitions, mm -hmm. not things you equate with our industry, but now they're coming into advertising and they're saying, not only can we help you with strategy, but we've also got real talent and creative as well. And so that kind of started some rumblings in the industry. And in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, this is where the industry is going next, perhaps. This is where I have room to grow. This is where our industry has room to grow, where we're not just doing creative for, for awards sake, but we're doing it for the business's sake, at least is what I thought. <laughs> and so, so I joined Deloitte um, and I joined, uh, and so Deloitte Digital or Deloitte, however they want to market it. But 
um, that was kind of the goal, right? To go in there and do more heavy hitting, um, you know, achieving business objectives type of advertising. And that's where I got exposed to more of the technology side of advertising. Um, and there's some challenges within that that we can talk about in a bit, I'm sure. But, you know, after, after dealing with, you know, a culture that is, I don't know how you get more corporate than corporate, but <laughs> even more of a corporate culture than what I experienced back at Cox Auto and KBB on the, on the corporate side. Um, you know, so you're not just seeing khakis everywhere. You're seeing suits, you know, and this is, <laughs> again, this is a company that, you know, has been around for a long time. Consulting firms have been around for forever. They're typically in, again, accounting, advisory, traditional areas of business like that. So you have traditional and legacy status quo mindsets as well, of course. And I was really cool with that. So, so I recently joined the trade desk. I just had my first week. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm super excited to, again, run towards something that is unknown for me, run towards a company that's kind of pushing the entire industry forward and kind of defining, you know, at a macro level, what the internet's going to look like in the future. And so that's kind of what brought me to the trade desk. And I'm pretty excited about it so far. So good. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, you have an amazing story. It's, you know, from what I picked up, I, I just picked up on a few things. I just heard a lot of, you know, perseverance, self-awareness, curiosity, mm -hmm. industry knowledge, which has helped you, um, you know, progress within seven years from, you know, where you started to, uh, a lead associate account director. And um, one thing that I also caught in, in, in your answer was um, you moved on to Deloitte to further advance your career and, and, and get into consulting. And for me, um, what really attract, what, what really, um, when you got on my radar, you were at Deloitte and I was curious about your, your role as a consultant at a company like Deloitte, because I was very mm -hmm. unfamiliar and I was still in school. Um, and one thing about um, the education system, I know everyone knows that, like, you know, it's often outdated. And never once did, did I learn about consulting in school or a company like Deloitte. So um, I know there are plenty of people who are in that same boat. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, consulting and what exactly you do in that role. And how is it mm -hmm. different? How's it different from, you know, what you were doing at RPA or at Cox Automotive? Yeah, for sure. So I would say, you know, at Cox, I sat on a, a client side marketing department um, where we worked on consumer marketing holistically. So that meant TV, radio, social, all of it. And you're the client. So you're making decisions across all of those things, especially at the time where you didn't have digital teams on the client side. Um, so you're kind of at a high level sort of making sure things are quote on brand while different agencies and partners are executing things. At RPA, you know, you, you need to have a little bit more, or in the ad agency side, you need to have a little bit more of a niche experience or a niche specialty. So at RPA, I was on the digital strategy team where I focused on digital strategy, right? How do we show up? Who do we talk to? What are we saying to them? What channels are we saying it to them on? Um, but within, within the digital landscape and primarily within social media. Um, at Deloitte and within Deloitte Digital, you're really kind of coming into these companies and you're saying, okay, like, you know, what kind of business challenges do you have? You don't have a lot of transparency in your media planning and you don't have access to your own data. Well, why don't we um, help you solve that? And a lot of it is, and these are going to be big words, but a lot of that is systems integrations, platform implementation. So really helping the client side 
um, take on the technology and the tools to be able to do a little bit of the agency's, the agency's job for themselves. Um, you know, we've gotten to this point in, in advertising where clients have to work with so many different partners, consultants, agencies, vendors to get their marketing done. And so their data is all, you know, spewed and siloed across all of those different partners. I mean, even within one agency partnership, if I'm a brand and I work with X agency, even within that, you have the team that's doing search, you have the team that's doing social, you have the team that's doing programmatic. And I can't, as the client, be very confident and know and have the transparency to know that the data I should be receiving from those campaigns, from that media spend is being used in a really intelligent way across all of those, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of siloed activity happening. And so on the consulting side, a lot of the demand that these um, consulting firms within advertising are experiencing is helping clients um, onboard a little bit of what the agencies do. And so again, that means a lot of helping them purchased, you know, what, what kind of technology platforms do I need to purchase in order to do that work? Um, who do I need to hire in order to do that work? How do I manage this within my marketing team? That sort of thing. So it's a lot of more technical work. And that really exposed me to more of the tech side. Um, but another thing in terms of not just the work that you're doing, but there's a lot of differences within consulting from, again, the culture and just um, structurally. So consulting is typically done on a project base versus agency of record. At the agency side, you basically are married to your client. You have a long-term contract that allows you to do yearly planning. And, you know, every year we do this and every month we do this and every week we do this and every day we do this. And it can get really repetitive sometimes because you have a little bit of that comfort of just, you know, having a long-term relationship. Um, versus in consulting, um, it's all it's mostly project-based and they are trying to get some of that agency of record money because, you know, that's lots of money locked in guaranteed, <laughs> but, but it is a lot of project-based. So it's a lot of coming to people at the C level, either the CMO, the CTO, or even the CEO and saying like, Oh, you have a problem with that? Cool. We're going to come in. We're going to knock that out of the park within three to six months, let's say. And um, we're just going to rally a quick team around it. We're going to get it done. We're going to work day and night. Um, and a lot of the projects that we do, we have uh, counterparts in India who can literally ensure that, you know, whatever job I did today, I hand off to that person in India. They're working at it, working on it on my nighttime and we hand off vice versa over and over and over again. So you're literally working day and night to get this project done on budget, on time, and then boom, it's done. You sell that through, you know, I finished this project for you. So let me solve another problem for you. And so you kind of keep finding work to do within these, um, within these businesses. And so that's kind of how consulting works. Um, so your next project is never guaranteed. And you don't know if it's going to be with that company you just did a project for. Um, so you really have to sort of network um, within the company. Another reason for that is you don't have a team right? You might have sort of a discipline-ish type of loose bucket or group. Um, you might be someone who does a lot of work with the Salesforce platform or the Adobe platform. And so you have a lot of people who are common in that they do a lot of work within that, but you don't have a team. You don't have a boss. 
you don't have direct reports, you don't have teammates, right? You are uh, on the consulting side, or at least within Delay Digital, you are a soldier who can get called up to get on this project quickly, um, you know, execute it, knock it out of the park. Again, short-term projects, and then you move on. But you don't have anyone saying, all right, here's your next project. Here's what you're working on this time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to kind of network and get to know people and, you know, really pitch yourself. And so you do a lot of interviewing within the company as well, not just to, to join Deloitte and to get paid by Deloitte. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to interview and kind of explain why you deserve to be on certain projects. Um, and so you also have billable client hour targets kind of like how lawyers have like uh, targets in terms of the amount of hours you spend working on a billable project. So if you just kind of feel like, all right, my project ended and I just want to breather for a couple of weeks, that's going to ding you, you know, mm -hmm. because you're not going to be able to hit your, your hour target. You need to keep working on these projects, but yet they're not guaranteed to you and you have to sort of figure out how to get onto your next project. So that's challenging too. Nothing's guaranteed. Um, you're still getting paid, but if you don't hit your targets, then you're not going to be there for very long. Um, the other thing is you do travel a lot too. That's something to know if you're, if you're interested in the consulting side, which I think consulting is great if you are fresh out of college or if you can get into a program where you sort of um, get to intern or shadow while you're still in school and then you kind of have a guaranteed in a lot of the consulting the big four consulting firms have programs like that you can learn really quickly how to be a professional how to make you know great powerpoint decks how to talk to clients you can get all of that experience in early on in your career with these firms which i think is great but you can you can sense like as you go on um, maybe you start to have a family traveling a lot might not be your jam at that time, but it's great when you're young. Um, so yeah, the consulting side, you do travel to wherever your client is. It doesn't really matter where you live. Yeah, there's a local office you can go to when you're not traveling, but really you, if Amazon's located in Seattle and Amazon's your client, you're going to Seattle Monday through Thursday and you get home Thursday night and you're still signing on uh, to work on Friday as well, either from home or from your local office. So it's a lot of traveling, which is great. Again, if you're if you're into that, especially if you're young, if you want to see, you know, different cities, uh, sometimes you can travel internationally, which is great. Um, so those are those are some of the differences. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious too, like in, in your in your opinion, what what makes a good consultant? Because it seems like you have to be a number of things to to see success and and doing that type of work. Like it seems like you have to be your own salesman. Um, mm -hmm. You have to be strategic and a lot of things that probably also fall into that. So for people who are interested in getting into it, like what, what personality traits do, do you, you see for success in that role? Mm. One that I that is not a, a big personality trait of my own is patience, <laughs> but uh, being super patient, super flexible. Um, one of the reasons why I didn't really gel well within consulting and I think it's an element of consulting that doesn't have to be the way it is but there is a big grind culture right so working very long hours working through your lunches and your dinners nights and weekends kind of thing if you can um, 
set boundaries for yourself, but also be patient knowing people are going to kind of hit you up and want, want something from you on the spot. You can be flexible with your time, um, with where you're working. Again, you're not going into your own office. You don't have your desk with your own assigned seat. You're traveling all over the place. You got to be able to, um, be flexible and nimble, you know, work really quickly, work in different environments with many different types of people. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge one too. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you studied marketing at uh, Vanguard University. Um, you also studied social science and liberal studies prior to that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what, what did you expect your career? Uh, where did you expect your career to go at that point when you were in college? Like, what were your goals? Mm, yeah, I think um, my goals were definitely to be good enough at sports <laughs> to help pay for school because my family um, was having three kids, you know, trying to get through college at the same time. So I needed to help my parents pay for it that way. Um, so definitely focused on sports. But then I also focused on how do I get out of school really fast? <laughs> so four years max, again, to help my parents not have to keep paying for school. So um, it really honestly just kind of started there. And I was looking at, all right, what are my options? I can do psychology, I can do marketing. Um, and so I was, I was naturally gravitating towards marketing. So like, let me get this BA in, in business marketing. Um, I don't think I knew I wanted to be in marketing. I didn't know. I definitely didn't know the advertising side of the world, you know, separate of marketing. I didn't know that world. You know, in high school, I was really into sewing and fashion design because, you know, you got to remember this was like, America's Next Top Model and Project Runway was like all you saw growing up in mainstream media. So that's like what I thought I wanted to do. But then when it came down to like, all right, I need some, I need a practical degree that, you know, doesn't put my parents out in terms of paying for school. But even, you know, at a really young age, I was really into this concept of business and commerce. You know, my parents would have garage sales all the time and I was so into it. Um, you know, setting up all the different stuff and, and kind of exchanging, you know, this transaction with people. And I grew up in Iowa. So <laughs> driving around and hitting up garage sales on the weekends was like a very exciting thing. I still get really stoked about it. Um, but, you know, even as a kid, I would go around the house and collect little knickknacks, magazines, gum, any of my parents' belongings that I could kind of stage in like a, a a storefront in my room or the living room and I would make signs even and say like, okay, I'm open for business. And I would literally sell my parents shit back to them <laughs> so that they could get their stuff back. Um, and so I always kind of had a little bit of like this interest, I guess, in the concept of business. And then, you know, of course you got to throw it to your ancestors as well. Like my grandfather on my mom's side and he's still, he's not an ancestor yet. Like he's still with us, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he was always super entrepreneurial. You know, he, since the time I was a little, a baby, he owned a variety of businesses from tombstones and headstones to now his own Mexican restaurant, uh, then a, a Mexican bakery next door. And now he's branched out and has an Italian restaurant, which is random, but awesome. Um, and then, you know, even on my dad's side, growing up, seeing the same thing, you know, black women out there are, they are influencers. They are our trendsetters. That's a culture and a society. Um, but of course, black women don't get credit for that. But, you know, 
And even to this day through the pandemic, what I was seeing the other day, um, black women are starting businesses at a faster rate than any other racial group. And that's according to research by American Express, you know? Mm -hmm. So these are things that I grew up seeing. And I think on my dad's side, so my mom's side is Mexican, my dad's side is black, but on my dad's side, I think seeing that entrepreneurship is largely because we are, as black women, we are so excluded and black people, you know, let's be real, but we are so excluded in virtually every professional setting or industry that we're often told that, you know, we need to just try harder. We need to speak up more. We need to be more clear and articulate is something I've heard as well. But we get to the point where we just start our own thing. You know, we mm. get pushed out of jobs or even entire industries to the point of needing to start our own businesses because that's a better way to ensure you're being treated fairly than to stick around at a job where you're just exposed to microaggressions nonstop. So that entrepreneurial spirit is really in my DNA also. And I think that's when it came time to pick a major, I knew that I could probably do more with marketing um, you know, than, than something else. So that's kind of where it started. Got it. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, the Trade Desk? Yeah, absolutely. So the Trade Desk is a tech company specifically within advertising technology. And so they created a software platform that is used by advertisers or agency people to purchase ad inventory programmatically. And that means an advertiser can set up parameters like this is my budget, this is my target audience, this is the device that I want to target, mobile, desktop, that sort of thing. Um, and then you can run ads across different channels like display or digital audio like Spotify and now even connected TV. So like, you know, Hulu and things like that, all with the help of technology. So you don't have to do it manually and go to these individual partners, you know, one to one and spend with them, you know, manually in that one to one instance. That way you can do it on a platform that kind of helps scale it and do it for you at a larger scale and much faster. Um, and so the trade desk is trying to help really consumers see less ads, but that are more relevant to them. So by creating this powerful tool for advertisers to make more data driven campaigns, the ads that you will see are more relevant to you based on that data. Mm-hmm. And so that it's a it's a very complicated landscape it's a very tricky landscape and it's changing every single day um and so i know that this is a platform for students and so here's a few basics i'm going to help define for everyone to understand you're going to hear these things as you start to learn more about the digital landscape as you start to enter the industry and i hope that this kind of just lays a little bit of a foundation because this industry can be very exclusive um, and a lot of that comes from there's complex topics that are being discussed that we don't do a good job of educating around. Um, So we'll just talk, we'll just pick a few. So the first one we're going to start with is data. So there's first party data, second party data, and third party data in advertising, right? So first party data is the data any business has on you as a consumer based on your interactions with that business or that brand. So first party data can be things like purchase history when you bought that thing from them, your email address when you signed up for that newsletter, or how often you visited their website or their app. And first party data is the most important data to advertisers because, you know, as a brand, I own it. You know, you interacted with me. So this is my, this is the data that I have on you directly. 
Um, and I can use that data to make you as the consumer to make your experience with the brand even more relevant. You know, I won't keep serving up that same shoe you just bought because I already know you already bought it. <laughs> I can serve you up something else that maybe goes with that or around that. And so second party data, this is basically where one business shares its first party data with another business um, or shares, you know, where there are commonalities or overlaps in your collective audiences. And so sometimes that's shared with businesses through special partnerships. Third party data. So this is behavioral data about consumers that a business can get, uh, or most of the time that a business pays for from a third party. They purchase this data from a third party. Um, and it's usually rolled up into higher level buckets or what we call quote segments. Um, and it's based on things like interest, demographics, shopping behaviors. So an example would be, oh, sports fans. You can see how some of your internet um, activity might get you bucketed into a sports fans segment. Or I'm in market for a car. You know, they can tell by what I'm searching or what sites I visit that I'm in market for a car or that I'm a pet owner. These are examples. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you have uh, a lot of acronyms within this industry as well, especially in the digital side. So there's DMP. And what that stands for is data management platform. And this allows businesses to aggregate all of their data, first party, second party, third party, all of that data into one platform. And businesses can start to look at that data, analyze it, understand trends, right? They can create segments to further tailor their audiences around common traits. They can build what's called lookalike models off of their, their data. And that helps them kind of go out and reach new people they haven't been exposed to, but who have similar behaviors, who, who are very similar to their customers. That's what lookalike is. And then there's another acronym, DSP, and that's demand side platform. And this is the platform that advertisers use to purchase ad inventory programmatically with technology all in one place. And so advertisers can pull in their datas their, their data and their segments and their lookalike audiences from their DMP, the data management platform, into the DSP, the demand side platform. And so the advertiser can control within the DSP who sees their ads and how. Publishers can sell their inventory. So if I'm ESPN.com and I know I'm gonna have two different places for ads on this one landing page, I can let the DSP know that this is exactly the inventory I have here. And having all of that data all in one place where I'm gonna purchase and run these ads, it allows consumers to see more relevant ads. And so bringing it back to the Trade Desk, the Trade Desk offers one of the best DSPs in the industry and a DMP on top of that, so that an advertiser can access that all in a one-stop shop, if that makes sense. It does, it does. You know, I want to talk about your decision to, you know, go to the trade desk. I know early on you mentioned, like, when you were at RPA, um, Accenture acquired Droga 5, and you saw the industry shifting. Um, I'm assuming that was, you know, like a couple of years ago. So mm -hmm. um, do you still feel that the industry is still um, kind of evolving and changing into more of an ad tech space? Do you still see that as the future of advertising? 100%. 100%. Um, 
we have more data accessible to us than we know what to do with. And this is where you get terms like big data. It's like mm -hmm. a lot of data, but what does it mean to you? What are you going to do with it? How can you wrap your hands around it and actually do something about it? This is where the technology side comes into play. So, you know, platforms and tech companies like the trade desk creating that technology, but also with all of this access to data, um, you know, there becomes um, threats to our privacy as consumers. Like they, you know, there is data being captured on us with every move we make on the internet. And I don't think people are aware of that and they don't understand sort of what at the trade desk we call the quid pro quo, quid pro quo of the internet. So your data is valuable, but people aren't being told that. People aren't being told how their data is being used, how their data is being sold, right? Um, and so, you know, on any kind of website, if I can get your data, then I can show you relevant ads and you can view this page for free. That's the quid pro quo of the internet. Um, it's not really well explained in the industry or in our society as a whole. And there's a lot of threats to our data being exposed, especially by bad actors. So now you see things evolving in the industry around um, privacy and legislation uh, and protections around consumer data. So there's GDPR uh, out of the UK, there's CCPA out of California, and there's other legislative acts that are coming up state by state, even just within the US, to say, here's how you can use consumers' data. You need to make sure you have their consent to use their data um, and things like that. But we're not really, we're still not really telling people what we're going to do with that data. Um, so you've started to notice probably on the internet, like a little toast that pops up from the bottom of your screen when you're visiting these websites or these e-commerce sites that says, hey, we use cookies on this page. Just click yes or close this out and you'll be fine. But we're not really explaining to people what that actually means. And the trade desk is working to, um, you know, figure out a way where the internet is open and free and transparent and consumers have a lot more knowledge around how their data is being used and what for and that it's protected. Um, and it's not just being centralized in one location where, you know, uh, a walled garden system benefits off of that and we can have a whole we should we should have a whole separate podcast about that but long story short yes the industry is is still evolving rapidly and um technology and ad tech and data privacy regulation is all going to be a big part of the future of our industry yeah i agree i agree um so but what what's really interesting um is that i know i know you're new to this role you just started at, at the trade desk mm -hmm. uh, so you have that unique experience of, you know, starting a new job in this whole work from home era. Um, mm -hmm. what, has, what has this experience been like for you? Yeah, um, you know, it's actually not been too weird. And one reason I will say coming from consulting where I'm working from home on the days that I'm not traveling or, you know, I'm not um, always working from like my company's office you know, I'm, I'm traveling to the client site, I'm working from an airplane, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm a little bit used to this whole not being in the office, uh, just a little bit more than I think uh, people who aren't in consulting or maybe haven't done remote work. Um, 
So in that sense, it's not too foreign. But in another sense, I actually kind of like it. It's kind of nice to meet the teams um, and get it, you know, even a virtual tour of your office before showing up, right? Like I now have a sense of, I've never been to the trade desk office in Los Angeles, but I now have a sense of, okay, where are the bathrooms? Where do I sit? Where's front desk? Here's where I go for snacks, you know? And I don't have to like show up on day one and be lost and confused and like, you know, asking people like, oh yeah, like what's going on? You know what I mean? So I also notice I'm, I'm much more able to remember people's names. Like normally you show up again, you're lost, you're confused. You can't figure out where you're at. Um, on top of you're probably being brought to like a herd of people and saying like, oh, this is this team. And here are their names and everybody, this is Sam. It's just so hard to remember people's names, you know, but in this space, I'm like looking at someone's face and maybe it's four people at a time or something, but I'm much more able to like connect with that one person and like know their name and I remember it next time. So I feel like I'm getting, I feel like I really enjoy getting all of the onboarding out of the way before I ever have to show up because now I kind of already know what to expect. Yeah, yeah, interesting way to look at it. Um, so I know early on, as we mentioned, uh, you you started in community management uh, on the agency side. Um, mm -hmm. Community management is one of those roles that a lot of uh, students see themselves in, just because you know they're they're growing up in an era of social media, and mm -hmm. to be able to work in social media is like a dream job for many people. So. Um, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, for, for, for those that are unfamiliar with the community management role, you know, what is what does that entail? What does it consist of? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, just to like distill it down, community management really just means you are operating the social media channels and engaging with the social community of a brand or a business. So you're the one posting the content from that brand. You are responding to questions in the comments. You're removing spam from the comments, that sort of thing. You're also helping to kind of understand when is the best time to post, um, where are there opportunities for us to engage in more authentic conversations with people, connecting with people on a more human level, um, and really helping to make your brand in that sense be more authentic and human um, within social media. And so there's a lot of like, it, some people want to distill it just down to that, like, oh, you're just kind of posting the content, but there's a lot of communication strategy and critical thinking around communication strategy that happens with that you know why are we saying what we're saying what's the best way to say it you know what's the best way to make it even more yeah more human and authentic or more native to that platform um, yeah. so there's a lot of strategic um sort of development that you're doing in that role which i think makes it a really great springboard into more strategy um, problem solving type of roles yeah definitely um, just to kind of switch gears a little bit, um, mm -hmm. I follow you on, on Instagram and, you know, these past few months you've been very, very outspoken and, and vocal about going and, off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, going off. So, you know, there, and there's no secret that, you know, within that bigger picture, the industry that we're in has had its own issues with all forms of, you know, diversity, um, you know, since, since the beginning, since the Mad Men days and before that. So, um, oh, yeah. You know, within the past few months, the issues have come to the forefront more than ever before. So are you are you optimistic mm -hmm. that actual change will come from this? You know, I would say 
moment by moment, second by second, it can feel very doom and gloom, right? Mm -hmm. But when I intentionally sit and I zoom out and I view this from a broader perspective uh, and I view this from the perspective of my ancestors, right? I can appreciate and recognize that small changes are happening every day and that we're on the right track. We still got a long way to go, but sometimes that helps me get out of, of the, uh, the doom and gloom because yes, we can have a reason to be optimistic because we, we see changes happening all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of companies and agencies are, you know, they're coming with these statements of commitment to do this and mm -hmm. do that. Um, and I'm curious if you have a, a perspective on, you know, how they can follow through with these commitments. Like, what are some ways that uh, the like the corporate environment can attract more diverse talent, black talent, and not only attract them, but retain them? Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this might be oversimplifying it, but change what you do, right? What you always do has gotten you to where you are today. If you want that to look different, um, you need to change what you're doing, right? So when it comes to retaining talent, when it comes to equal pay, just fucking pay people equally for doing similar, the same type of work. Just do it. Just pay them equally. Um, Shelly Zalas leads the female quotient, and she talks about this all the time, and she's her and her company are someone you can hire to, you know, help your, your company just pay people equally. It's like not that hard, but they'll come in and help you do it if you need help. But it's like literally like, okay, she makes how much less than him and they do the same job. Okay, great. So now just increase hers to match his and you're done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like just do it. Um, and so that's, that's from like a retention perspective, but also, I think a lot happens at the hiring um, sort of funnel, right? And again, if you're still doing what you've always done, you're going to get the same results. What got you here is not going to get you there. You have to change what you're doing. So you need to, for example, redefine what air quotes qualified means. Mm. So if I'm hiring for someone and I decide this is what it means to be qualified, take a look at that. Is that what it's always meant? How drastically have you changed that lately? You know, if you, if what you look for in candidates has always resulted in what you've gotten today, well, what else can you look for? How do we change what qualified means? Um, and this, you know, what we've determined as qualified in this industry has led to a very, you know, white male industry, obviously. Yeah. Um, in creative, in the creative departments, for example, if you, side, if you decide that to be qualified to work in my department, to be qualified creative means having a book or having gone to portfolio school, um, you've already made your talent pool incredibly small and you've already made it look very much like what you already have, which you've always had. Um, so redefine what qualified means. You know, re remove that. Um, and the types of people, if you imagine, the, the types of people who go to portfolio school, following the same example, um, or the types of people who even have the means to afford that school, they're going to be a certain type of person. This is common sense, right? So you're already excluding people right from the jump 
right before you even wrote the job description or before you, you wrote the job rec for HR to, to go hunt for these people, mm-hmm. you have to redefine what it means to be qualified. Do you have to have a four-year college degree to do really great creative work? Do you have to have a portfolio? Do you have to have come from the means to go to portfolio school? So it's really looking at those systems and those habits, you know, and, and they are, they are systems that have gotten the agency to where, to where it looks like today. And we just have to change that. Yes. I love, I love that answer. Every part of it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So true. So um, I know outside of work, you know, you, I can tell in your answers and just talking to you today, you know, how passionate Mm -hmm. you are about your career and about this industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it also shows because outside of work, you, you volunteer and and you do, you're part of a mentor mentee program and you speak on panels and you do all these things that you don't necessarily have to do. Um, You know, so what, what do you think students and entry level talent have to gain from participating in these type of programs that they're able to be partnered with, you know, experienced professionals like yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What What exactly do you you know? What's your pitch to them to to be a part of these type of things and take advantage of these resources? My pitch is that you have everything to gain. You have absolutely everything to gain, and you're not going to lose anything. You have nothing to lose. Um, mentorship is your chance to learn from someone who is where you want to be eventually, right? Or to learn from someone who's had to do the work uh, and has learned through the ups and downs of doing the work that you're, you're doing, right? In order to break through into their careers. And that's the same work that you're going through right now. They've already been there. So let them help you out, you know? So I would say, you know, my advice would definitely be to seek out mentorship. It can be through formal programs like the Think LA program, which is really amazing. Um, They make it simple and easy for you to apply. They pair you up. You're on your way, right? Or you can, it doesn't have to be a formal program. It doesn't have to be labeled. You don't have to determine the relationship. You can just search for people on LinkedIn or on Instagram if you've seen someone or whatever, Twitter. Search for people who've had a career journey that interests you in any way and just ask to jump on a call with them and make sure you have questions ready to go. Um, You know, get them talking to you, get them sharing their advice for you. Um, You know, they've, again, they've been where you are and they've figured out their ways through it, around it, with it, you know, over it. They can kind of help give you that perspective too. So you have, you have everything to gain. That's my pitch. (laughs) Definitely. Um, and just speaking of, uh, you know, advice for students, you know, are there any resources that, that you follow, like publications, podcasts, et cetera, that um, you feel like kind of help you stay up to date on industry trends and industry news that they can probably Absolutely. benefit from? Absolutely. There's this podcast called the Academics Podcast that you yeah. must, <laughs> you must follow. Facts. <laughs> um, yes. So other than your podcast, of course. Um, my go-tos every single day during the work week, like, you know, I'll work out. And then when I'm getting ready or while I'm in the shower, that sort of thing, I'm listening to a podcast and every single day, my go-to is behind the numbers. It's an e-marketer podcast. Um, e-marketer is just a research company about digital marketing and advertising. Um, and you get to learn every single day, 
you know, what is happening in the digital world? What is the latest change? What does it mean if, if Trump bans TikTok? What does it mean if third party cookies go away? Like all these things that you hear people in your companies or internships or in your classes talking about, you get the real time expert opinion, you know? Um, so I love behind the numbers. I like um, Living Corporate is a great podcast. It covers a lot about being black specifically in the professional landscape, not just advertising, but, um, you know, talking about microaggressions and dealing with that. And, you know, we are not the problem, but it's very validating to hear other people talking about very similar experiences. Um, another one, and this is kind of a little bit more of a geeky one, if behind the numbers wasn't already, but another geeky one is the modern manager. And I like this one. Sometimes it's cringe, but I like it because it really covers all the different ways we can better serve the teams we manage. And again, even if you're not a manager, you can start to really formulate yourself as a leader, whether or not people report to you. So you can, you can form yourself as a leader and learn early on the best ways to communicate, the best ways to motivate, the best ways to have difficult conversations, you know, because we really have to uproot this legacy you know, old school fear-based management that we've all experienced. Um, and so I really love that podcast. Another one that I listen to all the time is Therapy for Black Girls because uh, it's in the title. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, another, um, so not just podcasts, but another really great um, sort of collective or community to look into, be a part of, join a session is Three's a, Cla Three's a Crowd. If you go to three a crowd dot black and it's spelt, it's not like the number three. It's like T H R E E three yes. crowd dot black. Um, dive in. I mean, this is a community, LA based professionals within a, a range of verticals, kind of tangential to the space. So advertising, marketing, but also entertainment, production, fine arts, entrepreneurs, right? Just black professionals. And it has a mission to empower all of us to, to unapologetically embrace our blackness. And what's amazing is they created the In for 13 pledge, which aims to create equity in the advertising industry by raising the percentage of black bodies and leadership positions to 13% by 2023. And of course, 13% being the percentage of black people in the United States. So like, mm -hmm. let's, Let's get leadership at parity with, you know, our presence in this country. Yeah. Um, and so they're doing an excellent job. So I really encourage everyone to check out all of those resources. Yeah, I think it's important that, that a lot of companies have, you know, signed on to work with Three's a Crowd. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're a person that's conscious of your future in the company you work for, um, you know, you can always go down that list and see a list of potential employers. And also just uh, shout yeah. out to Rihanna, Rihanna Johnson, who founded that. Amazing. Yeah. Love you, Ree. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing all that you know now from experience, if you could go back in time and talk to your Vanguard University self, your college mm. student, what would you tell yourself? I think I would simply say that you are worthy. You know, you already have you already have everything you need and they, whatever they is, a man, a job, a professor, a group of people, they can't validate you, right? 
They mm-hmm. can't give you your happiness. They can't give you your worth. It starts with you. Mm-hmm. And I would also say you are not the problem. I would say that to myself. Love that. Yep. Love that. So, <laughs> any advice for someone looking to pursue a career in any form of advertising or marketing? Yeah, I would say get curious, ask questions, always ask for help. Do not try and, and do it all yourself. There's no, we don't want to normalize that. We want to normalize asking for help and, and working reasonable conditions. So I'm, I'm passionate about that one, but speak up against unfairness, take up space, speak up, be yourself. Um, and always remember to pull people up as you climb. So we talked about mentorship and how, you know, that's something I do outside of work. I don't have to do that. And it's certain, whether it's formal or not, you do have to pull people up as you climb, right? If we want to see more inclusion of, you know, people in this industry, that's our responsibility. We, we are creating the path forward. We are creating the future right now. The students listening, you guys are the future. So as you climb, pull someone up. As you learn something, teach it to someone else. I agree. 100%. So for those listening who are interested in, you know, getting in touch with you, um, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram at, at SamHawkins16. Or you can find me on Twitter, where I talk a little bit more about the industry focused on Twitter, um, at SamXHawkins. Or you can just reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you search Samantha Hawkins, you'll find me. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, this has been a great discussion. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. As I mentioned earlier, you, you helped inspire me early on. Um, so, you know, just having you on the show has, has been a pleasure. Um, best of luck to you in the future. Uh, again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Best of luck to you too. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you want to keep up with us outside of these podcasts, make sure you follow us on Instagram. That's at Academics, A-D-C-A-D-E-M-I-C-S. And you can follow me personally. My handle on all social platforms is at Justin D. Barnett. You can also email academicspodcast at gmail.com for any and all inquiries. Thank you. Class dismissed.